Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. We're a podcast for founders and entrepreneurs and startups and also the angels, the VCs, the investment firms, the family offices who work with them. Um, we're on all the major podcast platforms. Make sure to rate us uh, and subscribe. And we're also on YouTube. If you like uh, the full motion video of two two people with faces talking to each other, which is what we are. We don't do much beyond that, but that's uh, certainly more than enough. Today, what's interesting, we have SK Lee with us. Welcome, SK. Great to have you. Thank you. Happy to she be here. Is, she is the self-described boss lady at the launch coaching lab. But what's interesting about what she's doing to me uh, from the perspective of our podcast is that SK is also an investor, an angel, um, she's a scout. She's kind of got um, her her uh, herself in a lot of different situations, all related to what we do here at, at the accelerator. So let me let me start out by saying, or, or asking rather, did you ever expect that you would be in this industry? And where did you start? What was the starting point? I mean, the short answer is absolutely not. Um, <laughs> I went into college studying economics and law, thinking I'd be a lawyer fighting for children's rights and working in politics, actually. And oh, then, what, kind of, what kind of politics? What were your politics back then? Yeah, you know, um, I went to Mills College in Oakland, California, and I was part of the San Francisco Young Democrats. I worked for mayoral campaigns. I worked for Kamala Harris's DA campaign back in the wow. day. Uh, a couple of local school board elections, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That was my jam. And then it real, I realized that um, a lot of it was, I don't know, a popularity contest. <laughs> and I wasn't seeing the kind of impact. That, of that's, that's, that's being nice about it. And I noticed that you have Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a uh, cartoon over or a painting over your, over, your, over your right shoulder. So I think that pretty much declares where your um, allegiances lay. So it must have taken something significant or serendipitous to get you out of politics um, uh, and into more business, the business world, what happened? Yeah, I mean, I did a couple of internships that really opened my eyes to the, the speed of impact and progress and also how much business, the business world tied to politics. And I wanted to be on the side where I could have the most influence. And what were the internships? That's interesting. Ah, so I worked for um, Mayor Brown. Mayor Willie uh, Brown. Yeah, I've seen, I saw Mayor Willie Brown once in Aspen, Colorado, looking very much at home. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, yeah, I worked for him for about a year and a half from, I think, ages, let's see, it was 20 to 21. Um, and he took me actually on a trade mission to Shanghai, China. That was my first experience of the mainland. Um, and then I and also- And you are really, Chinese, uh, Chinese American though, right? I, you know, I was born in Taiwan. My parents are from China. So I would say, yeah, Asian-American, Taiwanese-American. Taiwanese-American. Okay. An, um, important, an important distinction. We must yes. For some people in the world, a big one. Um, yeah. And then I also did an internship for Mary Hughes at Seton and Hughes, a political consulting firm in college. And so how did that lead to your pivot or your, your change of direction or slight change of direction? Yeah, when I graduated from college, I was looking at jobs, of course, and wasn't quite ready to head off to law school. So I took a job at a big five consulting firm at Accenture. And I think mm. that's when it really shifted. And I started to, you know, 
did two and a half years there. It was a grind. Learned a ton about, you know, frameworks, how people sell, mm. consulting projects, mergers and acquisitions, all of this new language that I was exposed to. And I was very, very quickly realizing, oh, this is what the world turns on. So uh, what, 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 what precisely does the word world turn on? Money, technology, innovation? What, when you say that, what do you, what do you mean precisely? You know, I realized that I could have the most impact in business mm. and, rather than in local politics, at least mm. personally. And I also wanted to be in a place where I was building things rather than fighting for things as a lawyer. Mm. Um, and so at the same time, I think it was like my first or second year of management consulting, I joined a couple of folks in launching a, a magazine called Hyphen Magazine, which is still around today. Oh, wow. And that was my sort of first foray into thinking about for-profit with some kind of mission-driven outcome. So blending the two, you know, the idea that you could have for-profit business model, but also positive social outcomes. And that was a really interesting first case study in thinking about how to do two things at once rather than having to choose. But that idea, so so obviously your political background would indicate that you were um, mission driven uh, as a younger, even younger person, and that uh, you sort of saw a path to to find a mission or find a you know a purpose, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, within the business world. So what? How would you just now looking back on the begin on your beginnings, on your origins, yeah. on your origin? How would you describe what the mission looked like to you then? Yeah. When I was in consulting, I knew that I was learning a ton in terms of how to work, you know, and the tools and techniques, but I still felt very much like I wasn't having, doing good in the world. I wanted to do more. I wanted to actually see more progress. So I began to do this magazine that kind of spurred me to get excited about other things. And I started to learn about the double bottom line and what that means um, different kinds of business models, what impact investing was. I then met a couple of folks who were former Accenture people that worked at the Kip Foundation. And so that led me down the path of education as the, the industry where I could dive in. And mm -hmm. I basically haven't looked back for the last 18 years. I've been in this world of what is the edge of education reform? What are new ideas in education technology? I mean, that was my first foray, foray into it. And you had uh, you had some um, uh, uh, you had some companies, I I think, and you had some e exits as well. Yes. So the first chapter of my career, which has been rather meandering, <laughs> was U.S. Actually, you know, I've got to be honest with you. It sounds very focused to me. Ah. It sounds like you know, as a person who also you know liked liberal politics and was mm. involved. Um, you know, you're talking to a guy who was um, a delegate, if Birch Bay <laughs> had won the Democratic nomination, oh, I would have been his, one of his delegates uh, to the convention. And he was he was considered the most liberal candidate in the field. Mm. So, you know, you actually sound very focused mm. um, to me. But but so the mission, I guess you could say, became education and hence uh, ed tech, right? Exactly. Yeah. At the time when I left consulting and went to this sort of nonprofit education reform in the U.S. 
world, I that was really the only thing that existed where I could have an impact in education, but through kind of a, a different business model. And so I joined the ops team at the Kit Foundation, working on helping them set up infrastructure to scale their charter schools from, you know, a dozen or so at the time to mm-hmm. the next target was 50 or so. So that was the biggest um, injection of cash that the Kit Foundation had had at that point to really scale nationally. So I got a, a taste of scale, operational scale, like procurement systems, accounting systems, mm. uh, real estate leases. How do you do that? How do you get, how do you open 15 schools a year? You know, that is kind of alternative to the existing public school model. Mm-hmm. And so that within the 501c nonprofit context was really actually preparation for what I didn't know would come later, which is, you know, for-profit venture-backed hyper-growth scale and what that means. Ooh. And so, and so um, the charter school idea typically is thought of, perhaps incorrectly, but thought of as, as kind of a conservative idea. In other words, mm-hmm. particularly in, in communities, you know, um, not to stereotype it, but, but you know, Christian, uh, ten, uh, a bunch of Christian parents in Christian communities did not want their kids to um, be educated as heathens in public school and uh, and said, you know, we're going to we're going to start our own schools, our charter schools. Mm-hmm. So how did that reconcile? Yeah. Yeah. How did you reconcile that? Because you're coming at it from the other side. But did you become a convert to charter schools? You know, that was my. I still am torn about charter schools. I think that they work when they work. Do you know what I mean? I think that not all of them are made equal. And KIPP was certainly one of the the organizations at the vanguard of using the charter method to improve public education for underserved communities, not necessarily as an alternative for religious purposes. And so that was interesting to me, was the intervention at the fifth grade to say, okay, we have to start at 10 years old in order to increase high school graduation rates for this population of students. I would say at the latest 10 years old, right? At the latest. Well, then my second startup that I joined early stage years later would be opening Montessori preschools. And I, it was that startup that made me realize, oh, actually to start at birth. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or, or earlier, you know, or earlier. I know it's in order to get into certain private schools, um, in New York City, you have to actually register before you're born. Um, so, so, so yeah, it's a it's you know it's a bit of a hot potato, but certainly as a way, there are many examples of uh, underserved communities uh, mm-hmm. being elevated by a charter school or or, mm-hmm. or a private approach. So, right. so you and I, as um, erstwhile liberals can agree on that. I used to have a political talk show, so that's why I'm so interested. Ooh, me too. Oh, I'd love to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I did it for six years, five days a week, two hours a day. So 10 oh, hours wow. a week. Fully immersed. <laughs> fully, fully immersed. Yep. In Aspen, uh, my show was called Con Games and I was known as the con man. So beware, beware. Cool. <laughs> but, 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 in, but let's, I want to, I want to stick with, with, um, mm. with your journey. So, this this was a successful startup, the um, the charter startup that you described. So um, I left Kip. I went on to work on a couple of other projects. I ended up actually doing a Fulbright teaching fellowship, 
And I felt like if I'm going to stay in education for the rest of my career, I at least need to spend a little bit of time feeling the pain of what it means to lead a classroom. So I did that <laughs> for a year. Yeah, well, well put. Well put. <laughs> <laughs> um, met some guys. We started a company. It was a service-based business, so not a tech-enabled business, but it was in the field of education, sort of tutoring, college admissions for high net worth families. That grew really, really fast. We sold that. And then I came back and went to grad school, as one does. Wasn't quite sure what was next, what to do. What what kind of grad school? I went to um, Hugsy, so Harvard School of Education, and studied. Okay, so you, you shifted out. of You weren't going to go to law school now. By now, you're an educator. You're going to go to the Harvard School of Education. Right, exactly. I wanted to double down on what it meant to maximize human potential, neuroscience of learning, blah, 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 blah. Very um, cool. And it was really fun. Um, after grad school at Harvard, I took a kind of nine to five job as a career coach at Stanford Business School. And oh. that's where my life pivoted to startups, VC, tech, and what that meant. Um, I just sold a company. So I understand what it meant to grow that kind of company, a service-based business, but I had no idea what, you know, the, the world of Silicon Valley and venture capital meant. Mm. And so coming back and taking this very nine to five job at Stanford was really my exposure into that whole world. And what did you learn? What did you learn that you didn't already know? Ah, um, so I ended up kind of advising startups that were in the Valley. I was, it was in the air everywhere that you breathe, especially at Stanford and yeah. particularly founders in the education space. I was advising this company that had just received like a million bucks from Learn Capital to help start Montessori preschools, tech enabled on the back end, um, you know, obviously VC backed. And I was helping them fundraise and think about growth and expansion into international markets. Um, and that's when I really drank the Kool-Aid around why early childhood is so critical and to all of education and kind of changing the world. And then as I dove deeper into that particular team and company, I got pulled into the, the fundraising because I was good at building relationships and um, doing the BD and growth. And so I worked for about three years helping them fundraise. It takes a lot of money to open a physical school. Who are you, who are you working for specifically? The company's called Higher Ground Education. Higher Ground, okay. Yeah, and they're still around. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, and you are still, um, uh, a scout for FICA ventures. Um, uh, so you've still, they do enterprise software, uh, also some med tech and, um, other things. So you still have your, your, your fingers in that. Um, yeah. and, and, um, did you find, uh, but, but I think the key thing, correct me if I'm wrong, but the key thing was that at this point you're an educator who mm -hmm. has just had a, pretty um absorbing job as now you're a coach at stanford so you're you're coaching like really smart presumably good good students certainly people who are dedicated to being entrepreneurs or at least the idea of being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. so did that did the light bulb go off for you at that point you're like this is what i want to do uh did, did you did it all kind of come together there yeah i think spending three years Raising money, pitching to VCs really opened my eyes to what that world was about and how much power they had 
in terms of who gets to explore an innovative solution to some big, big problems. And how do they, how do they, I mean, it, it seems like I'm fairly new to it too, but, but, yeah. but, you know, there's instincts, there's being instinctual, but there's a certain amount of um, it being a crapshoot, isn't there? <laughs> that I realized, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, because realized, I, you know yeah. I, I just, I, I, you know what, one, I've been giving this some thought because I just started um, a company called Dogtails hmm. in the pet space. And um, I've been thinking, you know, I've, I've worked, been coaching, doing, doing some coaching um, at Start of VC in New York as um, entrepreneur in residence. And, and I've, I've sort of been asking myself, why did this guy or this woman give mm. up? And why did this person not give up? Mm-hmm. And, and anyhow, what's your, what's your take on that? You work probably with dozens, if not more entrepreneurs. So what, what, yeah. what did you find a secret sauce? Well, you know, I think um, you're right. I work with something like 20, 25 founders today at various early stages of formation. Some of them venture back, some of them not quite yet, some of them further along on, on the kind of product market fit roadmap and, and really thinking about early days of scale. Um, and I particularly focus on some underrepresented founders, so female founders, BIPOC, LGBTQ and or whatever. Um, when I was pitching, you know, and doing a lot of the fundraising on that side of the desk, it was rough. <laughs> Why was it rough? Because they were um, not white male or was it rough for some other reason? You know, I can't say that it was one particular reason. Speaking, but... speaking as I do as a white male, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of an expert I'm kind of an expert on having all the advantages. So, so right. you know, you're Taiwanese American, so you you probably felt a lot of empathy for people in that situation. You'd been a startup 100%. founder, yeah. So, so yeah. why or or how does the difficulty for an underrepresented founder manifest? How does it manifest? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, the, here's the truth. You know that was 10 years ago when I was doing that fundraising, Mm. right? So mostly rooms of older white men, some of them really wonderful and woke like you, and some of them not so much. And I was pitching preschools of all things, right, to VC. So it was not an easy sell, but we did it. Today, like even in 2022, it's still single digit percentages, under 10% that of female founders get VC funding. That's what happened in 2022 eight, 10 years later. So that's the truth. You know, it's, just, you, know, you know, pardon me for interrupting, but I mean, um, I, I, I know pretty much know that to be true. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I hear that, I just think like, that is stupid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, on this program and just in the course of, you know, daily life, you know, I talk to great women founders um, yeah. three or four times a week, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and I just, why, you know, why are, I guess it's because the VCs are also predominantly Bingo. male yeah. and predominantly yeah. white. Um, is that, is it as simple as that? I think so, to be honest, right? Like the, in, you, you do what you're familiar with and VCs by definition are betting on the unknown and taking risks. And if you know what you know, you're going to 
invest in what you're familiar with or what you feel like gives you most conviction and confidence. So yes, that's why it's so critical to have people who look of all different sorts, older entrepreneurs, you know, all kinds of other sectionalities to have a place in the capital pipeline. Do they? Has it changed in 10 years? On the fringes, I feel like it has, you know, it's maybe just starting to change, right? Maybe just starting. It's funny, I went to an event, um, uh, LIGO Partners, which is a really, really smart uh, fa- fa- family office that brings family offices together in deals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I went to their event in New York, and I mean, it was like a frat house. Not in not in like everybody getting plowed or whatever, but it was like, it was all guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, all guys, largely, you know, guys who'd gone to good colleges and you know, had kind of come up the same way mm-hmm. uh, with a couple of exceptions. Right. And it's, it's just like, it's a self-perpetuating exactly. thing. And there's, exactly. there's nothing that's really happened in a macro way mm. to change that. You know, there've been, yeah. there've been, there's Ruth Bader Ginsburg. There's the, the, um, you know, the Harvey uh, Weinstein mm-hmm. scandals that, that, you know, launched a movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a movement. She's dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, abortion is no longer legal mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of places, right? So, so it's it's um, you know, I like to put this in the category of never underestimate the power of people's resistance to change. People do not want to change. They just don't, and that goes for like, you know, how how they put their clothes in their closet and how you know mm-hmm. how they walk their dog or you know all yeah. all the most typical things. So. Let me ask you this. So you're you're plugging away with that, but now you're also um it sounds like your primary focus is being a coach. You know, I I for a long time was told that I can't do both things to invest and coach and resisted um choosing one path. I really think coaching and investing one makes me better at the other. And the truth is I I want to have a foot in the door of like where that capital goes. I want to be a face that some founders see and say, oh, look, this is someone who allocates money. But at the same time, I also know deeply what kind of support I wish I had when I was going through the motions of building and leading and trying to operate. Um, And so the coaching piece of it is for me practical. This is the support that, that founders need. Practical, some interpersonal, some, you know, cheerleading or whatever in addition to capital. And so I don't are you want to coaching companies. Are you coaching companies you've invested in? Is that primarily your, 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 the way you do it? Some. Yeah. It, for some, some I do. Yeah. Some some, exactly. Yeah. I wish I had the ability to invest in all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're coaching that would indicate, um, and, um, SK that you're coaching, uh, people you like and companies you like, is that, yes. is that your modus operandi? My modus operandi is if it's not a hell yes for both of us, then we got to part ways. <laughs> and has that happened? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get a pretty clear sense really quickly whether or not it's a hell yes for me, both for the idea that they're building as well as the person in the team. And if it is, then let's go, you know, and if not, then I'm happy to refer you to other people. It just, you know, I have a limited bandwidth and I want to be really excited. Yeah, no, that's 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 the right approach. So, do you? 
it's kind of a funny question. So you invest in a company, yeah. you become their coach. Do they then pay you to be their coach or is that kind of part of the package? You know, on, on occasion, it's a, it, we work on something focused on equity or some compensation or we reduce it because I do think having some money in the game is really important for accountability purposes, but it, it depends. I think, you know, we do it on a case-by-case basis. Does being an investor in a in a founder that in a company that you're coaching, does that do you coach that in that situation differently than in a situation where you don't have skin in the game? No, I try not to. Okay. I try not to. And usually my personal angel checks are are pretty small. It's mostly a, a kind of token right. of my support and dedication to the mission. Like five to ten thousand dollars or something in that in that range. Yeah, my my annual checks are anywhere from five to about fifty, and I do maybe uh-huh. three or four a year max. Uh-huh. I wish uh-huh. I could do more someday. I will, yeah. um, but yeah. that's where that's my sweet spot. And so I'm very early stage, or I you know I'm I'm kind of a um, a token or someone who understands the industry and I can provide advice, et cetera. Okay. So, so um, you've been in this for a couple of years now, right? Is this, is this, uh, is this your spiritual home to be a coach and an investor? Cause I, I actually, I think investors, many, many, many of them, including myself do, do coach, you know, they, you know, if you're, if you're a coach, you kind of coach everybody. Mm. I mean, that's my experience. It's like, you can't, it's, yeah. sort of, it's so hard to turn it off. You know, it's yeah. just like, you're saying, well, what if you did this? Or what if you did this? Or, you know, oh, you're doing great. Or, you know, um, uh, or, or you have to change that, right? It's just sort of an inherent mm-hmm. thing. Be like that if you're, if you're that kind of person. But um, what, what is the response of the founders to a coach? And do you think founders would all, it would behoove most founders to have a coach? I wish I could bestow a coach. What we call a meat, this is a meatball question. I just yeah. threw a meatball down the middle of the plate for you. Because <laughs> you're a coach. And yeah, now you're going to hit the meatball out of the park. You know, you're going to say, yes, of course. But but seriously, um, yeah. is it, I, I mean, I think most founders could benefit. Sure. 100%. I, if I could give everyone, not just founders, but particularly founders, a coach and a therapist, I would love to bestow that on every human. Truly. A therapist too. Yes. So here's the thing. Therapy, Where's the line between the two though? What's the coach? Oh, and... Big line. There are, okay, two, there, there are two sides of the same coin though. Therapy helps us in my mind, in my opinion, understand how we got here, who we are, mm-hmm. and gives us insights about that. Coaching takes that insight and says, what's the action plan? How do we move it forward and build from there? It's action-oriented. It's plan-oriented. It's strategy-oriented, at least the way that I do it. And I, yeah. I kind of balance the touchy-feely with the very tactical. Yeah, so so put another way, like a, um, a therapist would be very likely to ask uh, the equivalent of how are you feeling? How are things going? Um, a coach... My, I'm just sort of thinking out loud here, but a coach might say, "What, what, are you, what have you been doing? <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you doing to fix this problem? Or, or you know, you know, what is the action? In other words, what is the action you're taking? Not like, how do you feel about the action you're taking? I, I you know, I, I like to know how you're feeling, and then I like to go, what do you want to feel next? <laughs> Maybe that's oh, really. Do you, do you go with the feelings themselves? Sometimes, yeah, I think it's so, important. That's interesting. So, what would what would 
if a founder, so what are some of the responses you've gotten to that question? Because that's such a good, good approach, such an interesting approach. Yeah, I like to understand what what's going on today, right? Like, let's start with here and now. Where What are you feeling? Why? What's going on? And then we say, okay, where do you want to be? How do you need to feel there? What does that feel like? And then what are the practical steps to get there, both both internally and kind of tactically with your business? How do you, uh, so so we're, we're almost out of time. Last question would be, how do you get, given that how difficult it is to have a startup, to run a yes. startup, um, how do you combat the notion of failure that people, that it's not working? Because I think, mm. I think that's something founders live with a lot um, yes. and, and have to overcome if they're going to succeed. So what do you, what do you say to them? Oh, what, what is that discussion like? I fully embrace failure, but we also, the way that I coach is that we meet every other week and we work in two week sprints. And I think of everything as hypothesis-driven experimentation. And that is the nature of startups, particularly early stage, when you're really kind of working things out, testing things, trying things out. So things will fail, but if you think of them as just failures and not as part of the scientific process of getting to the end goal, then it will stop you, right? So I think of everything as kind of from a design thinking framework. That really helps. That's very interesting because in, in another way of saying that might be um, failure. Um, I'm, I'm a storyteller. I think of everything as a story and failure. If you fail, that's actually the thought that would, you would think be the end of the story. You failed mm-hmm. end of story, go on to the new story. But, um, but failure is, um, is really not the end of the story. No. Failure is, if I could, and I'm, I've just thought of this now, but I think failure is the middle of the story. Yes, yes. My entire career is a series of failures from which I gained really invaluable case studies that no. today give me this bank of resources from which I can pull from. That is my life. <laughs> SK, I want to um, thank you. This has been so much fun. We could, I feel oh, like we could, go, we could go all day. Uh, I know. So, <laughs> we'll definitely have you back. I feel like we just scratched the surface. Same, um, yeah. But uh, you, you've been listening to The Accelerator with Michael Conniff. That's me. Make sure to rate us, uh, subscribe to us, find us on YouTube or all the major podcast platforms. I think over a dozen of them now. Um, and we want to thank uh, a terrific guest, SK Lee. She is the boss lady at the uh, Launch Coaching Lab. She's a scout at FICA Ventures. And she also is um, an angel investor who um, writes checks. So you kind of uh, touched all the bases for us. So really appreciate your being with us and uh, wish you the best of luck. So much fun. Thank you, Michael. And thank everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody for listening to The Accelerator. And as I like to say, we'll be back before you know it with the next podcast. Thank you.